Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, however you're listening. Welcome to The Ruck, the podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thank you so much once again for joining us. We've got two months left of the season. 16th of July will be the end of the European season. It's 16th of May when we're recording today. And we've got two crack members of The Ruck team with us today. First down the line, all the way from sunny west of England, is Stuart Barnes. How's it going, Barnsley? Well, very well. Well, Shearer is um, living up to your big build up there. It's a gorgeous day. Rained all night. But garden's happy and so are we because the sun is out. Perfect. And next to me in the studio, we've rescued him from the Hairy Lemon Bar <laughs> in Dublin where Alex and I spent a few days last week between... Not all, not all day in the hairy lemon. Not all day in the hairy lemon. No, no it, was, it was all day in Dublin. Big discussions about world leagues and all sorts else. Yeah, Alex Lowe's here. Welcome hello, back. hello. Thank you. It was a good trip to Dublin. Um, lots of kind of rugby news, Nations League stuff, which we'll go into, and World Cup award, be, World Cups being awarded, and the odd pint of blood orange cider in the hairy lemon, which is my new favourite. Fully hangout. recommended. That yeah, was really. Yeah. It's one of those once you have one sip, you can't really have anything else, can you? No. I was no. a bit traditional and stayed in the Guinness, but maybe you beat me to it on the blood orange well, side. I'd recommend it. It was amazing. <laughs> so um, you stayed on, didn't you? You and then went to Leinster. Just in a, a, we'll get into it in more detail in a bit, but good occasion, good game. Forty-two thousand. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, forty-two thousand tickets sold in six days, which I thought was remarkable for a, for, for for any club really, but Leinster who maybe 15, 20 years ago wouldn't have had that pull. Um, but they've built this real um, kind of rugby community now of, of, of followers. They'll go en masse to, to Marseille. Um, it was it was a great occasion. And Leinster just played out of this world rugby. T- Toulouse were a bit... They haven't been firing all season. And they were back in Dublin a week after 100 minutes against Munster. And the way that the speed and the variety that that Leinster threw at them was, they, they couldn't manage it. Um, so it was a great performance for, from Leinster and a really a really good occasion. And yeah, I'm glad I stayed on for it. Um, Johnny Sexton, nearly 37, but but still delivering. Uh, we'll go into it, but so so many other names to to highlight from from that game. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good weekend of of semi finals. How did you see it from um, the Wiltshire sofa, Barnsley, when you were watching all these various games, including some Super Rugby, you were saying, off-pod? Yeah, I did. A couple of decent Australian centres for the Waratahs, but, uh, you know, you still look at Australian rugby and you think England have got to go there and 
probably win a series 2-1 and, and, and produce a good level of rugby. Uh, Australia, in a way, they're a bit like England. You know, there's South Africa and New Zealand and then a little gap in the same way there's France and uh, Ireland and then the little gap to England. Um, going to Europe, I thought um, Leinster were magnificent. I, I, funnily enough, I thought that uh, they would actually be disappointed with certain aspects of their performance. They made a few errors like they did at Welford Road. And I don't look at them uh, as a provincial team uh, with a lot of Irish internationals anymore. Uh, and to my mind, this is a fully-fledged Ireland team masquerading as a province. That's not a criticism. It's just how it's developed. Um, the combination of their academy bringing outstanding young players through, together with the shrewdness of signings like uh, James Lowe and uh, uh, Jamison Gibson-Park, is, is, is spectacular. Uh, to lose all season, you could see a team, they did the double last year, France domestic and the European. They won a Grand Slam. Five of that team were in the Grand Slam team. You know, from my Bath days, I can remember when you won the League and Cup, you'd come to the next season and you'd be up for it, but you wouldn't be quite there. You'd be 5% off. And if you're 5% off and you play teams like Leinster or you play in teams like Racing and La Rochelle in your domestic league, you're going to lose. And and it's been coming for a long time for Toulouse. You've seen it. I watched them play cast. They lost insipidly, uh, but that doesn't take anything away from Leinster's performance. Um, I I think arguably um, if they put La Rochelle away, uh, you would say it's the most dominant one-sided uh, Heineken Cup stroke European Champions Cup winning performance of them all. Well, we're going to do more, plenty more, on both the Champions and the Challenge Cup in this week's podcast and preview the finals, as Barnsley has always started off with us there. We'll chat about World Rugby's announcement of Australia and USA and England winning five World Cup bids between them, plus the latest plans for the Nations Championship, which Alex and I were writing about in The Times last week. Jess Hayden has her roundup from the women's game as the Premier 15's regular season came to an end, and we'll name our god, goddess, or devil of the week. But first, we promised last week that our intrepid reporter, Stephen Jones, who went to two matches in one day, extraordinary scenes, 400 kilometres apart in France, we, we promised you he would come with a report live in the ruck, but unfortunately he had such a good time that he's not actually made it here, so he's recorded us a special... <laughs> and stay tuned for the amazing music that our producer Alfie has put within this. Morning mates in the studio and everybody out there have just been on a special pod Times and Sunday Times assignment covering both the European Challenge Cup semi-finals on the same day and way apart. It was a triumph of pure luck, planning, uh, drink-fueled but not too much and great fun. Now, nothing in rugby can touch French clubs rugby, in my opinion. Sometimes it can be insipid and awful, uh, but it can also be so brilliant. Witness, as I did, both Lyon play Wasps in Stade Gerland on uh, Saturday and also later in the evening on an amazing evening in Toulon, watching the fantastic uh, Saracens attempts to go through to the final against the super-inspired Toulon. 
It was a sensational evening in the Mayol. God knows where it came from. I wasn't expecting the atmosphere since Toulon had been poor for some time and it's only recently it started firing again and I wasn't expecting the quality of the game. It was one of the two or three greatest club games I've ever seen. The atmosphere was brilliantly hostile. The crowd were not cowed by poor form and Toulon may well be building a great side. I can tell you for nothing, having seen Leinster play this season, that there is no way that Leinster or indeed any team would have beaten Toulon in the Mayol on Saturday evening. The team itself is building. Charles Olivon, Ebenezer Beth, uh, Baptiste Serran were key, but there was something just irresistible about them. Passionate, they were fast and loose, they were slow and grinding, they had it all and I have never seen anything like it. Hours and hours after the end of the game, people were still uh, tooting their horns all around the city centre. Uh, it's a bit of a din, but uh, we have to put up with that. Um, as a footnote to the main event, which I'm sure you're discussing just for what it's worth, guys, I don't think there's ever been um, a weaker uh, European Champions Cup uh, tournament. Uh, and unless a bunch of teams show way more interest very quickly, the likelihood of a successful relaunch next season uh, with big sponsors will be remote. And I think the whole concept of the tournament is now back in the melting pot again. Um, there are too many people concentrating on their home leagues. And uh, I'm afraid we've, we could well have two formalities in the finals of the Challenge Cup and the Champions Cup in Marseille, which would be really terrible. Uh, but enjoy the pod today. Finally, um, anyone listening down in Marseille, uh, if anyone sees a light brown wallet uh, full of credit cards, please grab it and send it back to me. Uh, I want to introduce the person who took it to Billy Vanapola. Right, so that was Steve who had clearly had a fantastic weekend. There was no way that trip was going to go without a hit. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I, I, I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised, that that, that he got from Lyon to, to Toulon. Uh, and if he'd got home and got into this studio to talk about the whole thing without anything going wrong, I would have been amazed. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel for him. He wrote about it in today's paper as well, that um, just getting stranded with no wallet. Mm. And then the, the lucky coincidence of bumping into Dave Rogers, his old photographer friend, to, to borrow a few a few euros. But um, no, good effort, good effort from Steve. Steve, to... has, he's had a bit of a mare recently because <laughs> I've um... recently, well, recently. Yeah. You mean by recent ten years? <laughs> but uh, well, only recently because of the fact that I've had to courier his um, glasses to him recently because uh, he left them up either at Leicester or Wasps and. Our friend and colleague in the Midlands, Bobby Bridge, who writes for the Coventry Tell and Leicestershire Live, and sent. I was at London Irish, and he said, "Oh, can you give these glasses? They're Steve's. You're going to see him." And I was like, "Oh, I thought I thought I would, but then I think I missed a rap podcast recording and didn't. So then had to courier them. And there was a funny text I got from Steve, being like." They're quite important because I keep turning up at the wrong house at the moment, so I need the oh, glasses. Long-time <laughs> listeners will recall the the Lions oh, tour. Oh, the shoe. Where he left his shoe in a hotel <laughs> in New Zealand. Size 14 or whatever Yeah, it is. like an enormous <laughs> kind of clown shoe. <laughs> and uh, and it, it got sent on to the next... It kept missing 
uh, it arrived at the next hotel just after he left. So we had this kind of running commentary of this enormous trainer being sent around New Zealand trying to catch up Stephen Jones. Oh, well, yeah, he, he did make it and he sounded like he had a really good weekend. And But he noted off at the end there that he thinks that the Champions Cup has kind of lost something this year. It's a point he's been making consistently this season. Um, we've all covered various games in it this season. I've personally enjoyed it quite a lot, but Barnsley, you were saying that if Leinster were to do it, it'd be one of the more dominant ones. Does that take away from the tournament, the fact that they've seemingly cruised through? I think uh, there's a slight confusion between a tournament that has been a long way from great and a team that's been great. And I I think when one team is so dominant, uh, it makes everything else look a little bit insipid and weak. Um, You know, Steve saying that uh, there's no way Leinster would have beaten Toulon is, 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 I'm afraid, nonsense. Let's still have beaten them comfortably in France and they'd have thrashed them in Ireland. Um, they're an outstanding team. But where I do totally agree with Steve is the tournament itself has been uh, far from vintage simply because we've had all the cancellations. We've had, you know, we've been changing the format during the tournament. We come up with a round of 16 that might have been quite good fun, but... It has not been satisfactory. Teams that didn't merit being in knockout stages made it. So it has been, um, in many ways, a pretty rubbish old tournament. But that is not to distract from the fact that there is potentially, amongst the teams playing there, uh, the finest of them all. I suppose, Alex, that it's been, we've forgotten, really, that this season has been still quite COVID-dominated because mm. we've been fairly out of it for a while. But... I remember when I first joined the Times in sort of January time, one of the first things I was writing about were English teams boycotting going to France because of travel rules and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So to be fair to EPCR, they actually have managed to get a tournament on when they might not have done, although it has been affected. I mean, we've seen Leinster knock out Leicester because of the kind of they got in the wrong position in the pools, didn't they? Because they had that odd cancellation against Montpellier. Pellier then got through and played Harlequins, beat them, yeah. having got a 28-0 that they never would have got against Leinster in the pool stage. Yeah. So at I least think, we've got there, I suppose. I think I, I would... I'm not as down on it as, as Steve has been. And I and by thinking on their feet, they, you know, we had well, we had this the home and away last 16, which was a... I think we all enjoyed that. Which was brilliant. We? Yeah. And led to calls for more of it. There aren't enough weekends for that. And, and the structure for, for this relaunch that, that we're talking about next season is, is, is in place. And it will have the South African teams in it, so it'll be a whole new fabric and 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 hopefully a whole a whole new set of rivalries to to build on. But it's going to require people to get their heads around something new again, mm. which I do think in rugby, Royce, like there's always new competitions. I mean, Johnny Sexton couldn't remember the name of the URC on Saturday night. He's like, mm. he, even he said competitions had so many names, I can't remember which one it was that we won. And <laughs> like so, sometimes you just you want the traditions, and that's where where the the top fourteen and, and the the Gallagher Premiership are so, are so strong they're just everyone knows where they are and, and constantly changing it's where Super Rugby fell down yeah totally um, you know it was it was in its prime I was exchanging messages with a, a listener last week um, who objected to me talking about the, the, the reduction in um, in crowds that they've had but I was reflecting back on you know, Super 12s which were which was an incredible competition then they made it 14 then 15 and then pools and, and, and then everyone stopped following it because they didn't know what what which game meant and um 
that that is a challenge for for the the cha- we have to call it the Champions Cup. It's not the European Cup, or it won't mm. be. But I'm not down on this this season, and and I think we've got the final that um that is probably the most uh, exciting of all, really, um, because to throw Leinster and the way they played against the might and the power and the heavyweight nature of of La Rochelle mm. um, will be will be a, a great battle with the added juice of of Johnny Sexton trying to win his fifth with Leinster up against a team coached by Ronan O'Gara, his old adversary. Stuart, a question for you. Um, when Saracens were dominating the English game and won a couple of European Cups, the sort of fantasy argument came up, didn't it, of would Saracens beat England? And lots of people said yes. Would, where would Leinster rank in the test game? How many countries do you think they'd beat? And who wouldn't well, they beat? They are, Ireland are one of the best four teams in the world. They've got a serious chance of winning the World Cup and Leinster in all but name is Ireland. And now I said this not so long ago on this podcast, but I don't think, you just can't get that out of your head. Um, and that's why right now, you know, I think, you know, Leinster are one of the best three or four teams on this planet. Ours is a club game. It's not a provincial game apart from Leinster. And they're using that, provincial ability in their academy and just the power to take the European Champions Cup to a new level. And it makes it very hard. Uh, I don't care what the salary cap is for the French or the English. It's not like against like. And, you know, I'm not complaining. That's not a complaint. That's the nature of um, Welsh, Scottish and Irish rugby. And, And it's fine. Uh, but right now, when you've got a provincial team that's as good as one of the best international teams in the world, it's well nigh impossible. And I think that's why some people will think that they're down on the tournament because no one can give them a game. Suddenly, Leicester's gutsy second half against a Leicester team. OK, they were 20 nil up and they had it won. But suddenly what Leicester did in that second half of the quarterfinal looks very good. And how Toulon physically eclipse Saracens makes me think Saracens won't be able to do that to Leicester. We're changing subject, but I think Leicester would be my, should be favourites to win the Premiership now after the last two European weeks. So, Alex, on that note, we were exchanging a couple of texts last night and you made the point to me that you can see Saracens absolutely destroying Northampton this week and yeah. an angry Saracens mm-hmm. having been knocked out of Europe. But it was interesting, wasn't it? Because a week or so ago... Lots of us were saying, oh, Saracen's going to win the Challenge Cup at a canter, maybe. And the Prem, like Le- Leicester have sorted, they're, they're there, but they're not quite there. The Saracen's just look like they're back and um, puffing their chests out and all that sort of thing. Mm. But I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was actually, I, have, I wasn't watching the rugby on Saturday, but caught up with it and saw that result and just thought, all oh, right, okay, not yeah. quite the Saracen's we thought uh, they were maybe yet. I was surprised because having seen them in, in recent weeks, really since Owen Farrell came back from injury, they have been building up this this head of steam and I thought they would go to Toulon who are not the Toulon... Uh, if we talk about teams that have, you know, the great teams in Europe, they they had their era that when they won it three times and Johnny was at the heart of it and Matt Gitto, that was that was just kind of one of, the, one of the great European teams. They've fallen off and at February they were bottom of the top 14. Mm, but they eighth. They have been on a run. Um, but I think that's been overlooked a little bit in the sense that they've been building up a, a bit of momentum too. But I, I just felt that Saracens would, would go there mm. and, and have enough. And and it, and it sounds like from 
from Steve's um, reportage that it was just one of those occasions that nobody saw coming that, I mean, he's describing it as one, one of the great games of all time. I think largely because he was there and he felt that, I mean, anyone who's been to a game in, a big game in Toulon, um, there is there is a, a, a frenzy about the, the atmosphere there. It's, it is a wonderful place to go and watch a, a big game of rugby. And that it sounds like it was one of those, in fact, that's what Steve wrote in the paper today. It was meant to be, he said, one of those occasions in which Saracens just had no, had no answer. Mm. Um, I would, yeah, I mean, this, a Leinster Saracens final seem, in the Premiership seems seems most likely. And to test to test um, Stewart's theory, um, it would be it would be an incredible collision between those two. Just on that point of um, the Saracens getting swept up in the atmosphere, I read a quote from Mark McCall where he actually said, "I was quite surprised that we were caught up in that." And mm. I wonder, maybe they're because they've been out of massive games for a year and a half. Mm. Even though they're the same old Saris, the same old characters, really, the senior players are the same guys, and they always used to love going to those away games, almost playing those more than the ones at home. They liked the adversity of those horrible fixtures away, didn't they? But possibly, yeah. having gone through Nottingham and Richmond and Amptill and then coming up into the Premiership and all a bit lockdown-y and then finally getting out of it, and they've not had one of those visceral horrible away games yet and maybe that was the one where they think oh right that was a reminder of what we left behind in 2019 I think that's a I think that's a very fair point it's a valid point and, and also it was a, a little bit of a reminder that um, not many of the Saracens have been playing sudden death rugby mm. and suddenly they were tested again and, and Alex talked about the resurgence of Farrell um, but I would talk about Farrell's captaincy with England, when England struggle, he comes under pressure and the fact that he's such a warrior counts against him because he can't control himself. It happened again. He was screaming at the referee. He was losing any chance of sympathy for Saracens. He started shouting at his players. If Eddie Jones thinks that's what he wants from an England captain, we've seen it time and again, time and again, when the pressure comes on, I, I just don't get it. Just on that note, it's going to be fascinating. So tomorrow for us is Tuesday um, and Eddie Jones is announcing a bit of a, a random sort of training camp squad, but his selection of a captaincy this summer is going to be really interesting, isn't it, of who gets the armband, the sort of metaphorical mm, armband. It's going to be Farrell, isn't it? Well, Farrell will have to come back in and be captain of a of a leadership group that's completely changed in his absence. Um, you know, he, he was really, I mean, there was, there was a bit of overlap in, in November, but he was ill and, and, and then injured, but you know he he's captained England for most of the time with with his Saracens lieutenants alongside him, and there's now been this deliberate change. Yeah. So just to round that off, then Saracens were defeated in Toulon, as we know. So and Wasps lost to Leon. Leon in their first final for 89 years, incredibly, um, and that ended English challenges in Europe. And the first time there's been no English team in either of the European Cups for nine years since 2013 and that um, set the finals were Claremont against Toulon and Leinster against Stade Francais when Leinster in that second comp because they got knocked out in the pool stages which was a bit, bit of a blip wasn't it so there endeth the European challenge I mean just a last point on that and it was a point actually our, 
a friend on Twitter, Russ Petty, the statistician, who's um, an epic follower if you don't follow him already, was making, which is probably fair, he was saying that essentially is it all doom and gloom because Leicester lost to Leinster, who we're saying here are a test side who were in a false position because of their pool stage COVID disasters. Um, Saracens weren't in the top competition at all. Mm. And Quinns were knocked out by the team who are top of the top 14 at the moment, Montpellier. So is it necessarily... Like the best of English got beaten by some of the best in Europe. Um, I I just think um, English rugby at club level is in a transitional state. And uh, our attack has been pretty knuckle-headed for quite some time. It's been slow. We've been more obsessed with stopping teams than creating. I think the last six months has seen a premiership where creativity is coming to the fore. Um, and so I'll go with your, your statistician on that. Um, there is a question. Uh, it, it, may have, it may impact upon England. It may make it very hard for them to just change that game slightly as you have to at Test Rugby. Um, but I think in the long term... This is a, a transformation that England uh, has been needing for a long time, and I think it'll be good. And if it's one or two years of, of, of European rugby, and if it's slightly disappointing World Cup and Six Nations next year, well, you can live with it. Um, that's the reality, and that is my only um, get-out clause for Eddie. And just as a, an associated news line on where English club rugby is, um, the salary cap this season is five million. It'll, it'll stay the same next season, and then it's due to rise back up to six point four million in twenty twenty four twenty five. There's been last week the, the clubs met, and there was a push from the majority of clubs to change that and keep it keep it down in the region of five to five and a half million for that twenty twenty four twenty five season. Um, what I what I understand is that four clubs are against that idea, so it will rise back up to six point four, which is where it was pre-pandemic, which is still not close to the top fourteen, and it doesn't challenge a centralised system in, in in Ireland that, that Leinster and, and Munster have. But it will, if the clubs can afford it, allow them to to sign players. At the moment, they are priced out of the market of signing. We've, we've spoken and written about it before, but. You know, Wasps losing Malachi Fekitoa to to Munster and and well, Verfafita to Scarlets, which would never have happened. Um, Sam Skinner leaving Exeter to go back to Scotland just on 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 just because he's being paid about hundred grand more. Um, again, even Exeter thought that would never happen, but it has. Um, then it, we'll have to wait till twenty twenty four twenty five before the cap goes back up. But as it stands right now, that's the way it, it's it's due to happen, which will. Which will help. It's not. It's not the. It's not the silver bullet. I'm not saying that. But it, if if a club can afford it, then they'll have a bit more money to spend. In, um, but it, they'll have to wait a couple of years. Well, so sorry. Also, very briefly, you know, there are silver linings. Um, our academy system has just simply hasn't been good enough. And we go on and on about how much money there is in France. If I know Racing were terrible on Sunday against La Rochelle. Uh, but they've got a young scrum half and a fullback, Max Spring, who was injured. Mm. They're fabulous players. And, you know, th- these are coming through the academy. And Jackie Lanzarotti has made a big, big point of saying academy is the future. And, you know, it's every bit as important for a team that wants to 
have a legacy as a great club. You can't just, no matter how much money you've got, you can't keep signing it. We are not and never will be in the realms of uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, Barcelona. We're just not. That's mm. not how rugby is. Yeah, and and the one one of the factors that's behind the the success of, of French rugby, both at club and international level, is is the GIF system that they have and the promotion of players through the, the pathway, through the the national age groups and through the, the, the club academies into the top 14 and then into the, the French national team. Simon Gillam from Breve was talking, he's the chief executive at Breve, joined the Six Nations that, you know, players like Untermach and Dupont were, were blood in the top 14 way earlier than they would have been previous in previous generations in France and and the the game itself is reaping the benefits. There's loads of other factors. Strong second tier, um, for example, is, is another one. But they they've hit upon, as you said, hit upon the value of 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 the academies and and creating a a, a pathway for players where they, with no blockages. And that's one of the issues that we have. There, there are blockages. You know, along the way in, in England, which which prevent players from getting enough rugby. Yeah, before, before we... do we do we think Henry Arundel's got to go to Australia on the on the <laughs> on that on that theme, Alex? Yeah, I, I think he is going. Um, uh, he's been watched closely by by England, by Eddie, by Conor O'Shea. Um, Conor O'Shea was talking him up uh, straight after the Six Nations, wasn't he? Will um, so? Yeah, I think he's I think he's penciled in. Um, this is preempting tomorrow's squad announcement but if he's not in it I'd be surprised well talking about the future of rugby there with guys like Henry Arundel maybe in a few years time they'll be part of a new global rugby tournament we all, Alex and I were writing about that from Dublin and from our own houses last week and so next we're going to talk about that big news World Cups awarded for Australia USA and England and plans for this new shiny nations championship as well Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, so as flagged before our little break, big news in rugby last week, some of the worst kept secrets in rugby really, that five World Cups were awarded all the way up till 2033, which I've looked at and think I'm going to be approaching 40 at that point, which is all right, all right. horrible. 
What's it like, Alex? It's <laughs> <laughs> good, actually. You still discover new things like blood orange cider. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, so the run of it is going to be in, in 2025. England are going to host the Women's World Cup. Two years after that, 27, Australia have the Men's World Cup. Then two years after that, 29, the Women's World Cup. 2031 is going to be the the Men's World Cup in the USA, which possibly was the most interesting of the lot. And then they'll end off that little period with the Women's World Cup in 2033. And you must keep your eyes peeled on your ruck feeds this week because our friend and colleague Al Dimmock has been doing a special episode of the ruck talking all about the State of the Union in the States. Here he speaks with Gary Gold, the coach of the US Men's 15, and Gary explains why playing Tier 1 countries, like when they lost 104-14 to New Zealand, isn't always the answer for their development. I, I definitely do not want to be playing teams of that calibre out of the Reg 9 window without our players, which is what happened last year. I mean, that is an abomination from our point of view. And um, you're not, personally, this is a personal opinion, you're not going to sell me on a commercial story on something like that. I'm not sure that that does anybody any good, you know, an opportunity or a game like that, you know. So I I didn't see any good in it. Um, uh, And if we had made millions and millions of dollars out of it, um, maybe... That could have shut me up, but we didn't. And so, you know, that's not that's not at all what we're talking about. The first thing that we need, Alice, and if you see it as a stage program, the first thing that you need as a so-called tier two country, or in my in my specific selfish cases, the USA is first thing we need is we need regular game time. We need regular time in camp together. We need regular time to build our cohesion. We need time to be able to work together, formulate a plan, and be able to work hard at getting that plan to improve. So we we don't even have time in camp together. That's the first thing. Then the next thing we need right now is we need regular fixtures. And we just need regular fixtures. We need to be having, hopefully, like in the region of about a dozen fixtures a year. That's ideally what we need. We're not going to get that. But if you're asking me what the perfect world is, that's the situation. And, you know, I mean, since Rugby World Cup, we have not had one preparation week. Every single time we've assembled has been on a Sunday night before the beginning of a game that weekend. So if we were to be able to have some form of preparation time before and, and, and be able to formulate, formulate ourselves, formulate our plan, formulate our cohesion, then be able to get into a situation where we play regular games like we did in 2018, it was off the back of that that we could then go into the summer and we could play Russia and do really well against Russia, go up to Canada and do really well against Canada and then play Scotland in, in America and, and be able to beat them or at least just play really well and be competitive. And that's really what we want to get to. It's not rocket science out there. We just, we just need to be playing more regularly. That's really what we need. Obviously, this is more of a long-term plan and who knows how long you'll be, you'll be in situ. Obviously, there are steps in place. We spoke a little bit to Ross about this, we spoke a little bit to uh, uh, Steve Lewis from uh, Rugby New York about talent pipelines and talent identification in a country which is as vast as the US. Obviously, 11 years from now, you want guys who are teenagers today to be playing test rugby of a good standard by, by the time 2030 rolls round. What do you think needs to happen in the country for that to be realised? Give you an easy answer with that, Al. It's a very similar situation to what happened in the in the in, in England in the early two thousands with the advent of the academy system. That's really what needs to happen. So if you remember, it was initially lottery funded. 
I was at London Irish at the time, but I know that all the 12 premiership clubs at the time had to buy in to the formation of an academy. Um, and it was it was ma managed and monitored by the RFU. That's what it takes. You know? So we've got 14 professional clubs that might even increase to more. Uh, USA Rugby have got talent ID pathway camps right now this weekend. We ran one in Seattle. Um, there are 12 around the country, including Hawaii. That will culminate in about 30-odd boys and then 30-odd girls being selected to come to a national academy, which is going to go over a couple of months in August. And we just need to buy in from our clubs to run those academies as well. And those 15, 16, 17-year-olds that are identified right here today, as you say, will be eligible by, by um, 2028, 2029, 2030, 2031. I mean, that to me sounds like quite a cultural shift for a country like the States, where all the tentpole sports have a very established pathway where if you're a good high school pro prospect, you go to college. And if you're a good college uh, player, then you get up into the pros. This is something completely different. So does it feel like you're almost having to pioneer a lot of stuff, even, even in 2022? Perhaps, but, you know, it's a different sport and the model's different. It's true what you say about the other sports and the other models, but when you have a look at the amount of kids who play high school football and you have a look at how many of those go in the draft, it is significantly less than 1% of every single, significantly less than every single child playing high school football in America at his high school. So... The issue is that is an old that is a model that works in American sports and quite successfully because of the volume of the sport and the volume of the amount of people that are playing. But if you're a keen football American football player and you finish college and you don't make it, you don't play. That's it. Your football career is over. Whereas with rugby, we don't have that. Our culture is completely different. So if you come out high school and you go to college, you can play rugby. If you finish college, you join a club and still continue to play rugby. And, you know, we, we, will, we will continue to support that. Um, and, and then with the advent of the, the academy system, as I explained it to you, then, you know, we can continue to develop players. So that's just the flavour of Al's special podcast. So keep an eye out for that on your ruck feed. It'll be dropping about midweek. Um, we have an idea of calling these ones the counter-ruck. Maybe we should read like his suggestions it. for I other like titles. Like counter-ruck. That was Al's idea. I can't claim that myself. He wasn't pulling any punches, Gary Gold, but it's um, he's quite right. That was a ridiculous fixture, that yeah. New Zealand one. And, and, and it links, actually, to to you know, to the other big news in that we were covering in Dublin last week and, and the, nation's, the Nations Championship, or whatever it ends up being called, it doesn't have a, mm. doesn't have a working name yet. But the idea of... You know, we sat down with Ross Young, chief exec of USA Rugby, to talk through what what it is that that they need to reach the quarterfinals of their own World Cup in 2031, which is their target. You know, you want, as he said, you want as the host nation. If host nation is involved and gets to the last eight, then it gives the tournament a real leg up. But the you know, USA have got a, a playoff against Chile to make to even make this World Cup, so there's an enormous distance for them to travel. And what's fascinating to me. Well, you should probably talk through the detail of of this proposal that that is, is now on the table and has been backed by all the nations. But the developing nations are, are behind this plan because they think it'll give them regular fixtures, and they say that is exactly what they need. And we we were hearing in Dublin of of tier two unions as they as they used to be called, like literally sitting down with their diaries open as if it was a, they're trying to arrange a you know a pub football match. Going, are you free this weekend? 
you have a game this weekend? The USA don't know who they're playing in November and they they can't sell the sport, they can't sell sponsorship, they can't plan without that certainty. And that's why the developing nations who'd form the second tier of this competition are, are behind it. But we'll talk to you because there are loads of misunderstandings and mis- misconceptions about what the plan is, despite, um, you know, and there's a lot of detail uh, around it. Just just talk everyone through it. Did you ever watch that, sorry, just before I do, did you ever watch that show Mythbusters? There was like two American guys in a shed who'd like, can you get blown out of a window in a plane if, if, if it blows open? So we're doing Mythbusters now. On the ruck. Um, apologies to the American accent. I'll work on that by 31. Um, right, so everyone, are you ready? Pens at the ready. This is the proposal for the Nations Championship that it was, you will remember, an idea in 2017, 18, 19 that got scrapped. It's very similar to that, but subtly different. Right, so it's a 12-team tournament comprising the Rugby Championship Nations, the Six Nations countries, Japan and Fiji. That's the elite tier then there would be a second tier called the challenger tier which is all the other nations in rugby europe plus namibia to substitute in for russia who are currently banned from the sport for obvious reasons um uruguay and chile usa and canada and samoa and tonga and so they are the two divisions at the moment and in years to come they hope to add subsequent tiers in three and four but we'll get to that a bit later on the idea is that the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship results don't count to the wider league at all. It's only fixtures in July and November. So if you imagine a fixture, let's say England are going south in July, so they would play against New Zealand, Australia and Japan in all three of those cities. So let's say it's Auckland, Sydney and Tokyo. And those three have been have been grouped together because of the, the relatively limited travel between the three. Yeah. Then when we get to November, England play all the three they haven't played already. So that would be Argentina, Fiji and South Africa at Twickenham. Then everyone's all done their own fixtures like that. We end November off the third week and we have a league table. The idea then is to try and finish it off with a final, which would be in the fourth week of November, one versus two. And then the bottom of the elite league in both hemispheres. So let's say Italy are bottom in the northern hemisphere and um, Fiji, a bottom in the Southern Hemisphere, would play the top of the Challenger division in both hemispheres. So you get two playoff games there. And we should clarify that the other the other group of countries, so when it starts, would be Argentina, Fiji and South Africa. If England were going to play the others, let's say Wales were going down in the summer to play South Africa, Argentina and Fiji, Fiji, as the lowest-ranked team, would choose where the, which of those other two countries they want to play their games in. So you wouldn't have to travel from Cape Town to Buenos Aires to to Nandi to play on consecutive weekends. Fiji is the lowest ranked would, would nominate whether they would play their games in Argentina or South Africa. So and, and that's important because the last plan uh, had was objected to in quite vociferous terms, even by Owen Farrell, who doesn't ever say much. Um, off the field, uh, even he came out uh, against it because of the travel. The, the international players' union are behind this because they they believe that that the travel actually now suits suits the players a lot better, which mm. is kind of an important point that often gets overlooked. Yeah, and at its heart, this whole league has promotion and relegation, but MythBuster time not in the Six Nations and not in the Rugby Championship. So those competitions are completely separate; they're not involved. None of the games 
points count to the wider league at yeah. all. So essentially, it's a competition where you're judged against your results against the other hemisphere. So if you're England, your results in the league are all against Southern Hemisphere teams. You don't get a Wales game included, for example. So what's so there are no extra games. In fact, there might, some teams might play fewer games because some teams have a fourth autumn international that they wouldn't now play. Um, a Six Nations team would play 11 tests a year unless they're in the final and they play 12. The sticking point, though, is, is, is revenue sharing. Massive sticking point. That's where we've got to get to because the, 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 the there are two different motivations here. One is a guaranteed fixture schedule for for developing nations, which yeah. they want. The other is to create is is to jeopardy. Um, no, well, it's, it's to create competition around an existing calendar or yeah. fix, which will generate more money. So one of the key things that um, people who talk to us about this are getting wrong at the moment, which is maybe our fault for not explaining it properly, is they're saying, why are we creating this new competition that's different from what's already there? Essentially, that's not quite right, because all they're doing is adding a league structure to fixtures that are kind of already there already, aren't they? Yeah, we saw that last year with the Autumn Nation series. The Six Nations are now pooling all of their television rights, and you'll have noticed that none of the fixtures clashed last autumn, um, and that's a deliberate policy because they think that by by pooling it and creating an entity an automation series it will increase the value of the product and that's effectively what they're trying to do with the july tours and the november series is to create a new product out of what already exists uh, and what what we heard from insiders last week was that it'll increase the the overall value of the sport by at least 40 percent which leads us to the inevitable sticking point which is where we currently are which is how they divide that money up. Um, the major unions in the north, like England and France, who who generate huge huge money from home test matches against the All Blacks at the moment, don't have to pay the All Blacks anything other than accommodation for playing them at, at Twickenham, and yet they can charge over two hundred pounds for a ticket. This system is designed to to spread the wealth um, and help help every nation improve and grow the grow the the value of the sport and grow the competitive competitiveness of the sport so that ultimately the USA for example can target a home quarter final in 10 years that is the plan as we understand it mm. hopefully explained in in a relatively simple way it is actually quite simple it's basically the same fixtures trying to create a league around it yeah. to generate more money and help improve everyone and you play every country in your league every year whereas you don't do that at the moment yeah um on the money side of things, it's a hell of a sticking point, that, isn't it? It seems that after the discussions of what we write about last week, there's broad agreement of the actual model, mm-hmm. so what we've just talked about there, but now thrashing out the finances is going to be a hell of a task. And one of many sticking points are things like, let's say Wales often have a fourth match in November, which we always talk about because it's the out-of-window test where they play the All Blacks and get smashed with half a team. But they need that because that's the game where they start making a profit at the Principality Stadium. So in this scenario, in this model, if they don't get to the final, they don't have a fourth game. So the model needs to reimburse them for losing that and or have a divvy that works so that the teams that are giving up um, banker financial wins are getting them back in other ways. Yeah. And also the divvy of the pot between North and South is going to be a huge issue as well because the European Six Nations countries would say, we've got the biggest grounds and we make the most money. So England would make around £15 million out of an All Blacks game, roughly, with hospitality and pints and burgers and everything else and tickets. The European nations wouldn't make that money, 
if the All Blacks didn't have the brand. So the summer is going to be interesting because if it all goes to plan, the idea is to then vote this through officially in November. The second tier starts in 2024, the year after the World Cup, and then the elite starts in 26, the year after the Lions Daughter Australia. Stuart, how did we do explaining that? Yeah, I got it. I was just going to say, can I, can I, Long pause. I, to be fair, I, I I had a pretty good idea before because I seen reading your stuff, I understood and spoken to one or two people. I was, I was just going to come in with a very brief sort of quick S-band strength and weakness. As you boys said, it does give a structure in a professional age where internationals are perceived as friendlies. Now, the old guard think there's nothing wrong with that, that an inter- international stands on its own. There's a new age that thinks different, differently. There's no doubt about that. Um, there will be a lot more money involved. That's a strength, but it is potentially also a weakness unless the unions do, as you boys have been saying, and act like a rugby United Nations that has teeth. It is no good England saying, well, we can get 82,000, we're going to have a share. This has to be split. Rugby is a growing professional sport. If it is going to be developing, then England and New Zealand and Wales have got to be helping Romania and Samoa and Tonga. No good talking about it any other way. So they're the weaknesses. The other weakness, and I think this is the big one, is as so often... It seems a great idea, but you can always have too much of a good thing. And we got to remember, no one has said this, but the Six Nations is effectively rugby's version of the Euros every single year. Mm. Every single year, we have our own Euros tournament. That is massive. Um, we talk about it and write about it, you know, every two years. We've got a Lions tour, which will need to be discussed. But the World Cup's the key. The World Cup is the pinnacle at the moment. To win this tournament that's played every two years between uh, the best 12 teams in the world will take more winning than the World Cup. If you look at the World Cup, England can get into the next final, beating one of the top teams in a semi-final, and that'll be it you are not going to win this tournament by doing that because of the intrinsic league system. In a way, to be the grand champion in the evens years will be more of an achievement than to be world champions. So World Rugby has to address the issue of the potential diminishment of a World Cup. If they can get that right, if they can share the money, if they can give a bite to this tournament, then I can see it making sense. Uh, if they don't do that, it looks to me like uh, hedge funds and their friends and venture capital have understood, have looked at television uh, finances and seen that all the money comes from the international game and not the club game, in which case the biggest weakness of all, the club game will be targeted at the expense of an all-year-round international game. Yeah, so Barnsley, interestingly, uh, World Rugby's chief executive, Alan Gilpin, was asked, we asked him about this last week, and it was kind of the first public comment on the whole Nations Championship concept. Um, and that key point that keeps coming up of, this is going to be harder to win than the World Cup. And he said, well, we've got a big PR job on our hands if it does come in to convince everyone that 
the winners of this league aren't the world champions, don't call them the world champions. And I think I'm going to patent maybe my idea of calling them the Jonah Lomu Shield winners or something like that. Give it a different name. But it's going to be hard, isn't it? Because over time, like Alex, you were making this point last week, if the World 7 Series, for example, is has far more cachet to it in that game than the World Cup does every four years, doesn't it? Yeah, because you can't complete a whole annual competition going around the world playing everyone without being the world the world yeah. champions so therefore that's much more valuable than, than winning the World Cup and, and and World Rugby have to take it really they have to manage this really carefully because the World Cup is their big earner mm. and until you know I guess potentially this could overtake that down the line but it, it won't initially and they, they've got to protect that World Cup because um, because it's it's where they get Million, hundreds of millions every every four years to distribute. Um, so it's a delicate balance and and, and, a, and a big PR job, like you said. There's a lot of thinking to be done. Sure. When when you when you boil down to it, we're going to take the same fixtures. We're going to give them a name. We're going to have a, a grand big spanking final there. But just to make sure you don't get too excited, we're going to say it's not as important as the World Cup. <laughs> it, it, wants to go, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They are looking to have the biggest cake rugby has ever come up with, and then they're looking to stuff it down their faces. You, you, you either have a revolutionary new tournament that is, that is going to, in a way, make it England v New Zealand every year and Ireland versus South Africa bigger than a World Cup or they're not. You, you, this is disingenuous in the extreme and, and that's why I think uh, people like myself and Steve um, are always very wary about where these things lead um, I can't I, I just can't believe that we're going to be careful to make sure people know that it's actually not that big a tournament mm. well there's <laughs> going to be in, but tune in and pay a fortune to watch it on television. Amazon Prime or whatever yeah well, there's going to be loads more wranglings with that and we'll try and keep across it as much as we can um, between us at the Times and the Sunday Times here. But we think we'll stop there. We'll let your brains um, <laughs> recover for a second. Uh, and next, we'll choose our god or goddess of the week. But first, Jess Hayden has a roundup of all the latest in the women's game. We now know that the Premier 15's final will not be between Saracens and Harlequins for the first time ever. The London sides have faced each other in every single final of the Premier 15's era, but this year they will face each other in the semi-final on Sunday. Round 18 closed the regular season with a narrow win for Loughborough against Harlequins and Bristol Bears picked up a losing bonus point against Exeter Chiefs. That confirmed that Saracens, who finished top of the table, will play Harlequins on Sunday in the first semi-final and Exeter will face Bristol in the second. It means we will have a new Premier 15's finalist, either Exeter Chiefs, who just won the Cup, or Bristol Bears, which is of course a huge step forward in the league becoming more competitive. You can watch both semi-finals live on BT Sport 2, BBC iPlayer or the Premier 15's website. On Sunday, Saracens vs Harlequins kicks off at 2pm and Exeter Chiefs face Bristol Bears at 4.30. Thanks very much, Jess, for your women's roundup. And before we get into our God or Goddess of the Week, we wanted to give a big shout-out and good luck to Sandbaggers RFC, 
They're going for the Guinness Book of World Records longest game of beach touch rugby this coming weekend at Branksome Dean Beach in Dorset. Very nice spot. They're raising money for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Very good cause. So if you want to support them, search Sandbaggers RFC on Just Giving to donate and support. And apparently they're trying to aim for 33 hours and 33 minutes of non-stop beach rugby. There's going to be a hell of a lot of sore calves after that, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. So, right, God or Goddess of the Week time. Um, I need to think of mine, but Barnsley, are you ready for yours? Yeah, I am. Wingers are dominant this week. Mm. I love James Lowe. Um, but my God of the Week is Gabin Villiers. Mm. Now, those of you who spend time with me in the uh, press room before internationals will know that um, he's a cult hero of mine, the... the Short, stocky French winger with a scrum cap. Uh, he scored two tries. He sprints like a winger. He hits breakdowns like one of the... But like Dave, he, he hits a breakdown like David Pocock, the former great Australian jackler. Steve said earlier in, earlier in the show that uh, if someone's got his wallet, he's gonna, he'd like to introduce them to Billy Vunapola. Well, on Saturday night... This five foot six and a bit winger was knocking Big Billy backwards. He's my god of the week. What a man, Gabin Villiers. Earlier in the season, it was um, Sean Edwards who called him the tough hombre, didn't he? Yeah, he's living up to that well, isn't he? Oh, he's brilliant yeah, to watch. Well, hombre. When we were <laughs> when, when we were at Cardiff, the, the press box is really low down, um, which doesn't give you a great perspective. But when the action's right in front of you, you are you know sto- you, you can almost reach out and touch it and. There were moments in that Wales France game where you know Villiers is piling in winning turnovers. It was right in front of us, and you see this guy. He's he's sort of he, I guess he's in, he's France's version of of Jack Noel, who tries to play in a similar way. Um, just a great just a great guy to watch because he could do everything. He's you know he was a scrum half, wasn't he? So he's, mm. he can he can came through sevens, didn't he? Fling, fling the ball out as well as he as he tracks the play and yeah, great play, good shout. Bonzi, I like that. He was, um, he was my mate Richard Hill, Bath, England scrum half. I played with for 10 years. He was at Rouen. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Hilly, who you'd assume could spot a good scrum half, said, mate, you're just trying to get involved everywhere. And he just sent him up and said, go away. Get away from scrum half. Put up, get on the wing and just run around and do everything. And by God, the prophecy has Done been right. fulfilled. Yeah. Also, we, we were talking about him in, in Dublin last week actually because he yeah he was at Rouen he was in the France 7 setup, and they they lost their Olympic playoff to Ireland and had they won that he'd have gone to Rio and not gone on the France tour of Australia and, and yeah. who knows where he would have been they lost to Ireland so he got picked picked by France went to Australia and he's now he's now a, a superstar of, of the club and, and international game Amazing. Good shout, Barnsley. Right, Alex? Um, I mentioned him already. Um, it, like I said, it's really hard to pick anyone individual out of that, that Leinster performance, but um, I'm going with Ross Maloney for his... Uh, I get Take it on the, the Tiger Furlong role, winning, winning um, stealing lineouts in the air and just playing a sort of... There were lots of superstars out there and he played that... Um, I guess he's he's a less heralded of, of the lot and played a really integral role in in helping that Leicester team tick and and flow as they did. So Ross Maloney gets my vote. Perfect. And mine is going to be a, a dual award for the oldies, I think, for Johnny Sexton and Sergio Parise, who between them are seventy five years old. 
<laughs> and you you wrote this in the in the paper today, Alex, that if Sexton ends up going on to win the Champions Cup again, he yeah. will have been the fly half for every single one of their wins, which is absolutely yeah. remarkable. Five titles, and you're the number ten for all of them. Incredible. That'd be ridiculous. It's a bit like Tom Brady, isn't it? Who's won more um, Vince Lombardi trophies than any franchise. Because he's won, was it six with the Pats and then one more for the Buccaneers, something like that? Your NFL knowledge wasn't quite this good when you tried to ask a question <laughs> of, the, of uh, World Rugby in the week and citing, uh, and you went, and uh, well, and any NFL player you might think of. <laughs> Insert NFL player here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The I best think bit. Tony Saxon's got better politics than Tom Brady. I'm oh. very, very concerned about those. Not as big a wallet. We saw that last week no. um, Tom Brady's been paid $375 million to commentate. Right, yeah. So for he, reti- 10 years. he retired. <laughs> he retired and then came out of retirement. And so Fox, Fox Sports in America tried to sign him up to be a, their, their pundit. Uh, then he came out of retirement to play another season. And the report was that he has, he's committed to joining them whenever he does retire for something like $350 million for 10 years, which is probably what, I mean, it's, yeah. And Barnes, you need to get back into TV if that's what yeah, the kind of, the kind of cast they're throwing say, around. Don McPherson, my agent, he, he came up with a deal that was a little bit lower than that. Five years ago. Did, he pocket it? Did he pocket the extra 30 million? That I didn't know. About. The extra 30 million, blimey hell. Anyway, right. So that that has been the ruck for um, another week. We'll be back next week. The Premiership returns. It's the last couple of rounds of the Prem. We've got top four to sort out and not much else besides. But that's been a great ruck. Thanks to Stuart Barnes from the studio in Wiltshire. (laughs) Thank you. Pleasure. And thanks to Alex in the actual studio in London Bridge. And that has been The Ruck. Thanks for downloading. Please subscribe, tell your friends and send us all your Nations Championship questions. I'm off for a pint of orange cider. An absolutely last thing, as we mentioned in the podcast, look out for Al Dimmock's counter-ruck special on everything about the USA and then being awarded the, the World Cup in 2031 and 2033. Enjoy that and hope you enjoyed this. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.